Well, welcome again today to Wildwood Christian Church. Uh, I am so thankful that you all are here with us today to honor God and to worship Him. Thankful for you online. Uh, my name is Doug Vernon. Um, I'm the senior minister here, and like Courtney said, I love being a part of this church and the connection that we have. And so we want to encourage you in any way we possibly can. And so if you're a regular part of this church family, let us know you're here online. Put your name in the chat box here. You can fill out one of the connect cards and put it in the offering box in the back, or better than that, go to the uh, use the QR code and go to the Uversion app, and you can connect there. But if you are new, if this is your first time with us, uh, we want to be able to encourage you and connect with you, and you can do that in a couple ways. Um, if you're present, you can use the Connect card, or if you're present or online, just text that word WELCOME to the number 636-206-8654. In fact, if, you, if this is your first or second Sunday with us uh, and we haven't given you a gift, we've got a book out there that we'd love to give to you. Um, it is a book that goes along with this series. It's by Eugene Peterson called To Run With Horses, which is actually the title of the message today. And so we'd love to give that to you. So you just, after the service, go out there and either get, hand them your Connect card or just show them um, that you texted that word. And we would love to be able to encourage encourage you um, with that gift and just say thank you for being a part of our service today. So I, I have mentioned this to you, I'm sure, before, at least in personal conversations, but just quite honestly, the last 18 months, but particularly the last 12 months, I have had more than one occasion in which I wanted to just quit. I thought to myself, I think it would be easier to flip hamburgers at McDonald's than it would be to do the things that uh, I'm doing right now. And now, don't get me wrong, I didn't quit, obviously, and I'm not going to quit. And yet, man, I just had, I had these moments in which, I remember one in particular was in the evening time and something happened that was so frustrating to me, I just got in the car and just drove. I just like, and I did a lot of yelling at God, actually, during that period of time. But it was just like, I look at it and say, why has it been so hard? Why has it been so hard? Um, and, and I feel bad about it because of the job that I have, you know? I mean, God called me to have eternal significance in the lives of people. That's what my whole job is. I mean, I'm paid to be good, right? I mean, that's my job. Every job that you have, can be a job in which you say, God, I'm going to use this for your good and your glory. And you can use any job that you happen to have for God's glory. But mine's kind of like built in, right? I mean, it's what I'm supposed to do. And yet, I've had these times where I've just thought, man, I'm done. I want to quit. This is too hard. This is too difficult. And some of you, either outwardly or inwardly, you're shaking your head yes, like, I get that. I understand that. This has just been a tough tough season. Maybe for you, it's the financial impact that the last couple years have had upon you or your family, and it just, it's made it really hard. Or maybe for you, it's relationally, right? You've had some issues relationally with people close to you, or maybe people at work, and you're like, this is just, this is so difficult. Or maybe for you, it has to do with physical health and well-being, or emotional health and well-being. I, I don't know what it is, but some of you fully understand that. And I'm so thankful that when we open up the pages of the Bible, God's Word, that what we find are people who are just like us. Great people of faith who had significant struggles and significant times of discouragement. In fact, it's a rarity that you find 
a significant woman or man of faith in Scripture that didn't have moments and times in which they wanted to give up. I mean, Moses did. Abraham did. David had those seasons of discouragement. Elijah and Elisha, both of them had those seasons. Even Paul did, as significant as he was. And today, as we come to Jeremiah chapter 12, we realize that Jeremiah himself had some times of great discouragement in which he just wanted to quit. And I'm thankful that he didn't because he teaches us a very important principle to remember during those seasons and times when we're like, I'm, I'm just done with this. I, I don't want to do this anymore. So we're in this series entitled Jeremiah. And kind of the byline of this series is to tear down and rebuild. It comes from the first chapter of Jeremiah, to pull up and to replant. And so we're in this season of kind of replanting and rebuilding as a church. But the problem is there's got to be times of pulling down and tearing down and even destroying. And it's a challenging season. I feel very strongly that as we go through this process of church revitalization, that God you know, led us to this particular study. I'm not thrilled with it. Got to tell you, real honest, because there's stuff in there, it's like, I don't really want to hear that. I don't want to have to deal with some of that kind of stuff. And yet, I think God's using that in a significant way. We're going through our own season of rebuilding. And in the midst of this season, the first thing we learned is every single one of us is significant. Every single one of us has these times and these seasons in which God is speaking to our hearts and our lives. You're getting a, hey, he's gone to the Bible, right? Marv, you did that the other Sunday, didn't you, right? Yeah, okay, thank you. You're good, thank you, Elmer. So, you know, we all are significant, every single one of us. I mean, that was the call to Jeremiah. Before I, you know, before you, I even formed you, I knew you. He talked about his calling. Now, Jeremiah had a very specific calling, but God knows every one of us, and God has significance in mind for every single one of us in this room and every one of you listening online. But then before God can do that significant work, sometimes what does he have to do? He's got to pull some stuff up. And last week we learned about we standing at that crossroads, right? And we're looking in the past, and we're looking in the future, and there's some stuff that God said, look, I need to pull that out of your life. I need to tear that down in your life. And we had some times of repentance because we need to do that as a church. Because every one of us matters. Every single one of us is significant. So today, we come to this passage in which God and Jeremiah are having a face-to-face -face kind of conversation. And they're having this conversation. It's so important for us to look at it because what we learn in the midst of this conversation is what Jeremiah is allowed by God to do when he's feeling discouraged, but then how God speaks back into Jeremiah's life. And it's a crucial principle that we're going to learn today when we feel discouraged. And that principle is simply this. God offers you and I a life of significance. He does not offer us a life of ease. God offers us a life, life of amazing significance on this earth. But he doesn't offer us a life of ease. So I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. And there's Bibles in the seat underneath you there. Those of you who are online, grab a Bible or click on the Bible tab. Again, that you, the QR code takes you to the YouVersion app there so you can follow along there. And there's some notes there. 
But Jeremiah chapter 12 is the passage, and I want to show you this key verse. It may seem a little strange to you when I show it to you now, but as we go through this message, I want you to hold on to it. And so it's Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5. Jeremiah 12, 5 says this. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how will you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? This is God speaking to Jeremiah. And what he's wanting us to learn is, you know what? I'm offering you a life of significance. I'm wanting you to run with the horses. But sometimes life gets overwhelming, right? So when you feel discouraged, what do you do? When you personally feel overwhelmed with things, what do you do? What, what does Jeremiah do in this particular passage? Well, what Jeremiah does here is he turns to God and he whines. How can I help you, Governor? Some dirtbag, dirtbag from the Attorney General's office has dared to mention the word jail. Somebody call the wham. What did you say? <laughs> Somebody called the ambulance. I mean, Jeremiah is whining here. Okay, so the biblical word would be lament. Everybody say that word with me, lament. In fact, the book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, and it is a book filled with lamenting. Lamenting is... This biblical concept of you are just so overwhelmed by evil or you're overwhelmed by difficulty or discouragement that you just, you pour your heart out to God. You just say, God, this is so difficult and this is so hard. And lamenting is all throughout the scriptures. It's a great practice to have. The Psalms have several. In fact, here is Psalm chapter 69, beginning in verse 1, a lament from God. David writes, save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. It's like I'm drowning, right? You're crying out to God. I've come into the deep water. The flood engulfs me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. i got to tell you, I've prayed that prayer a couple times this year. It's a lament. It's saying, God, this is so hard and this is so difficult. And so Jeremiah begins with a lament. So verse 1 of chapter 12. Jeremiah says this, and again, a conversation between he and God. You are always righteous, Lord. When I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. So you begin to get a little edge there, right, from Jeremiah. I'll speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the families live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched? And the grass in every field be withered, because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying... He will not see what happens to us. So it's a lament, and it's the age-old question, why do the wicked prosper? Why does it seem like all the bad people are having good things happen to them? Why is, what's going on with this, God? 
I mean, I know eventually you're going to judge him, but what about right now? You ever thought that particular prayer? Why does it seem like bad people prosper? But the evil people that Jeremiah is talking about in this passage are not just somebody who doesn't know God. What he's talking about are people who are God's people who God has loved and cared for and provided for, led them to this prosperous land and taken care of them and protected and showed all this kind of love to them. He's talking about God's people here. Why do the wicked? In other words, God's people, he even says, their hearts are far from you, God. It's almost like Jeremiah is saying, I have preached and preached and preached to these people, and it's like it goes in one ear and it goes right out the other there. There's no change, and they walk into church, you know, to the temple, and they make it seem like, yeah, man, I'm great, I'm wonderful. They give the sacrifices, and then they go out, and they live the same exact way. There's no change, there's no repentance, even though that's what you called me to do, God, right? Jeremiah said, I'm, I'm here to, to pull up and rebuild. I don't see any of that rebuilding here. He's so discouraged with God's people. And I'm thankful for this lament, because what that means is I can lament to God. I can cry out to God with absolutely anything. I can be I mean, did you notice how honest Jeremiah is in this particular passage? I mean, Jeremiah here, he is, he's like, I want you to butcher them, God. I want you to hang them out to dry, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty honest here. I mean, he's saying, God, I, I can't stand what is happening here. But in his lamenting, there's a couple of things that are important to notice. You look back at verse 1, you notice that he is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, that's a big word that just means God is absolutely in control. God is working and guiding and working through absolutely everything. And Jeremiah says, you know what? You are always righteous, Lord. I know that. So he acknowledges the sovereignty of God, but what does he also do in this passage? He acknowledges his own limitations. You know, He says, or when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. In other words, I'm going to talk to you, God, but I know I'm kind of limited in what I see. In fact, as, as you and I wrestle with this whole idea of God's sovereignty and our limited perspective, we need to recognize God sees past, present, and future. He has always been and he will always be, and he sees him in an instant. God is all-knowing and all-wise. God is always good in the things that he does. God understands not just my life, but the life of the literally billions and trillions who've ever lived and who will live. God has a plan that is perfect and is always happening. God's always working and guiding that. God sees everything. I see this tiny little sliver, barely a part of all of eternity. It's like my perception of reality is so limited when it's just by me, right? And mostly it's my self-centered thinking. Right? How's this affect me, Al Franken? Right? How does this impact me? How does this make a difference to me? You know, and I, all of these kind of arguments come. And so when we look at evil or wickedness or the things that bother us, it's like we see such a small, tiny sliver of reality. But no, when we cry out to God, even with an edge to our voice, even with frustration, God will listen to us and He will respond. But as we're going to see here, God's response is not what we want, but it's what he wants and we need in our life. And sometimes that can be very far apart. So 
God responds then in verse 5. We looked at this earlier, but look at Jeremiah 12, 5 and 6. He asked Jeremiah, after Jeremiah's lamented, he says, If you've raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. So Jer- or God is responding to Jeremiah's lament or his complaint, but it wasn't what he was expecting. Now when you look through Jeremiah's life, you look through any, any person in Scripture, you know, when they cry out to God and they say, God, this, this is terrible, uh, there are times where God responds in comfort and compassion. It's what we need. It's at that moment. That's what we need. And there are times where God... In, responds with instruction because that's what we need. And sometimes there are times where God responds with a kick in the backside. And that's really what's happening here to Jeremiah. God is speaking to Jeremiah, and it's almost like he said, okay, it's time to put your big boy pants on right now and pay attention and listen to what's going on here. Because, you know, God is almost reprimanding him as if he's saying, do you trust me? And the reason I think he says that, you know, if if you get worn out racing with men, how are you going to handle racing with the horses? It's like, I already told you, Jeremiah, what was going to happen. I told you, you were going to speak my word, and it was going to be challenging, and people were going to reject it, but I'm going to give you the kind of strength that you need. But it was like God had already told him what he needed to know. And in fact, if you go just a few verses earlier into chapter 11, you see God offering him some words of comfort and some words of protection. But it's like he's saying, look, Jeremiah, I've called you to a hard task. It's significant but hard, but I need you to understand there's no way around this difficulty. But there is a way through the difficulty. But it comes by putting your trust fully in me and what I want to see happen. But then as God goes on and continues to talk to Jeremiah, we begin to see God's lament. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time picturing God getting real bothered and upset by things that happen on this earth. You know, the difficult things or the great things. Sometimes I have a hard time imagining God getting, you know, sad or upset or angry and or those kind of things because, you know, God's God. It's like I get upset, but sometimes I have a hard time picturing that. And yet God really does. And what's happening here is just like Jeremiah's family was treating him like the enemy, so God's family was doing that. Look what he says beginning in verse 7. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. Again, this is God speaking. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. She Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild beasts. Bring them to devour. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares." Over all the barren heights in the desert, destroyers will swarm, for the sword of the Lord will devour from one end of the land to the other. No one will be safe. They will sow wheat but reap thorns. They will wear themselves out but gain nothing. They will bear the shame of their harvest because of the Lord's fierce anger. 
Now, there's a wordplay here that's hard to catch in the English. But verse 7, God says, I will forsake my house. And back in verse 6, as he talks about Jeremiah's family, he says, your relatives, member of your own family. He's literally saying, your family's house. And what he's saying to Jeremiah, you think it's hard because your family's turned against you. My whole family has turned against me. In other words, here's God Almighty who's cared for and provided and brought his people into this beautiful place. He's protected them, and when they turn away from him, he's warned them again and again and again. For literally hundreds and hundreds of years, he's tried to help them and encourage them. And he says, they're like a lion that I go to try to help, and it just kind of roars and attacks me. He said, they, they literally turn their backs on me. They literally say things like, well, God's not even paying attention there. And I think God says these words with great pain when he says things like, I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. And if you've ever had to do something challenging with somebody in your family that you love, that almost in a way seemed like it was hate, you begin to get a glimpse of the heart of God how difficult it was for him, but how necessary it was for him. But then God says this in Jeremiah verse 6, 14. He says, this is what the Lord says. As for my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands. I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. So he's talking about these, this north this is a boiling pot coming at them from the north and the enemy's coming to bring about God's punishment. But he says, but after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be established among my people. But if any nation does not listen, I will completely uproot and destroy it. It's like a reminder from God that judgment is always in service to a larger design. That the purpose of God speaking judgment or warnings of judgment is so that we will change and turn. In fact, it shows God's consistent character here. Because what happens if this even the nations who bring this evil about, what happens if they repent and change and turn to God? God will redeem them. God will forgive them. And of course, we have an even more significant picture because we're on this side of the cross. God was kind of alluding to it there, but on this side of the cross, we know the forgiveness that comes to all people because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So, How is God speaking and using this word to you and I as his church and his people during this particular season? I have called you to a life of significance, not a life of ease. And that's kind of challenging, isn't it? I mean, to think about God's call in our life, it really is about the cost of discipleship. Or when we turn to Jesus Christ, you know, he says, you gotta, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then follow me. If you want to come after me, you've got to be willing to let go of these things so that I can work significantly in your life. And there are seasons of refinement, right? 
There's seasons of God working and changing our life. There's seasons of God helping us to become the people he wants us to become. But our relationship with God is not a panacea for the problems of life. Our relationship with God is the basis upon which we face the problems of life. God's not in your life and mine to make it better or to take care of all the bad stuff that comes along. God's truth and God's word guides us to be able to know when we face these kind of difficulties, God will be there to, to help us. In other words, if we're going to run with the horses, we can't run on our own strength. We've got to run with the strength that can only come from God Almighty. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. Or have already arrived at my goal. But notice these words, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and notice this word again, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I mean, it takes work and effort on our behalf to say, God, I want to follow you with absolutely everything I have, but we can't do it on our own strength. And if I end up trying to trust in humanity or how people try to figure out how life is working, I, I'm going to fall far short, but I've got to put my trust in God and in God's promises. Because in the life that we've seen, in the life we're going to continue to see, we have no clue what's going to happen on the twists and turns of this life. I mean, nobody knows what's going to look like in three months or six months, yet a, a year from right now, right? And so what do we do in the midst of not being able to see and being confused and frustrated? What do we do? We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, there's promise after promise in God's word that God speaks to us about his strength and his help. But we need to recognize that what God is doing in our life is not trying to make it better or easier but helping us to live a life of significance, following him. One of the biggest struggles I have in life is what I, I guess I could call biblical or scriptural amnesia. You ever have scriptural amnesia? Where you're facing some kind of a problem, and you've memorized or you've learned some kind of passage or problem from God, but it's like, it's, it's like you're a deer in the headlights, right? You can't remember anything. It's just like, this is so problematic and difficult right now. And I have that happen to me all, all the time. It's like life is difficult and I forget God has promise after promise in his word, but God also has warnings in his word, right? Like one of them is, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. And that was God speaking through Peter to say, look, this earth that you and I live in, this earth is ruled and reigned by the enemy of God. So why should we be shocked at things like COVID happen? Why should I be surprised that life is difficult for me sometimes when I know I'm living the way God wants me to live? And for you, when you know you, you're living the way, because we live in a world in which God has clearly said, you know, this is the rule and reign of the enemy. 
I want you to represent me here. I want, you know, my kingdom to become not just in heaven, but on earth as well. But that means you and I've got to be ready to say, you know what, God, no matter what happens in my life, I want to live a life of significance. So you like me, you, you feel like quitting sometimes. We can learn from Jeremiah, it is okay to cry out to God. You can literally say anything to God about the struggles you have and what you want God to do to anyone. But you do it also recognizing there's a lot God knows that I have no clue of. I have such a limited perspective of what's happening in this earth. But what I do know is there are truths and promises in God's word that I can hold on to, but I need to be learning them, and I need to be growing in my understanding of who God happens to be. And so we cry out to God, but we remember he is sovereign. My perspective is limited, but his love for us is great. And so again, God offers a life of significance not a life of ease. God offers to us meaning and impact when we live our life for Him. So as I said, you know, I mean, I have had these times of feeling like quitting. But you know what really changes my mind, one of the things in the midst of it, is you all. I see you living life in the midst of difficulties and struggles the way God wants you to live your life. I see you making choices that are hard or difficult, setting aside oftentimes your own personal rights and privileges, right? So that people can know about Jesus Christ. And I also love the impact that this church has. The impact that it has, particularly on people who come from a background in which they don't really know anything about God. Maybe they didn't grow up in the church, or maybe they had a bad experience in church and they just kind of walked away from it. But they come to this place and they discover and find, you know what? I can learn about God here. I can ask questions about God that maybe other people would laugh at. I, I can grow and know that God loves me and cares for me. And to see the kind of impact that we have together as a church family is such a blessing. Because God has something even greater in mind for Wildwood Christian Church. And to get there, we've got to go through seasons of uprooting and tearing down. But God is with us and strengthening us individually and as a church family. It was the Reverend Phillips Brooks that I found his quote this week, and it, it's in your notes, but I love this. He said this, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work will be no miracle but you yourself will be the miracle. Let's pray that God will use us, no matter what, in a great way to have an impact for him in our families, in our community, and in his church here. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the challenge from your word, the power that can come only from you, Lord. And Lord, I know in the midst of seasons of discouragement that we've all felt and shared at different times, Lord, we continue to turn back to you. We say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the difficulties. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for letting us cry out to you. And Lord, we recognize that you're working in our lives, not to make it easier, but Father, to use us to change people for eternity. And so, Lord, 
Challenge us, encourage us, Lord, and it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.